Carl, introduce yourself a little bit, mate. Tell us a bit about you and your family, where you're based, place so on. Um, I uh, live near Druin or Warrigal, um, down in Gippsland. Been down there for 20 odd years. Uh, grew up in Melbourne, grew up in a Baptist church. Um, ended up in a Prezi church as a minister, somehow. Um, and uh, I work as a pastor at the Druin Prezi church um, half-time and uh, do a little, little bit of medicine at the local hospital where I practice anaesthetics and teach pastoral counselling at the Prezi College where I met Shabu. Um, probably five years ago, yeah. I would say. Yep. Um, and uh, I'm in the process of taking up the role of Executive Director of Biblical Counselling Australia. And that will really kick in next year when I'm able to wind back the pastoral work that I do at Druin. Yeah. So I had to wait for a, a new pastor to come and replace me. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned Biblical... I have a wife and four oh, kids. Yeah, good. My eldest daughter is married and just had a baby at 26 weeks. Um, so she's in the uh, Mercy Hospital for Women, about to go and see her after today and see how little Abigail is doing. She's growing very well. Are you grandpa or pop? Or? Um, I'm officially grandpa. Okay, great. Which is sort of a good life goal by about 50 or so, I'm not quite 50, to become a grandfather. Okay, all right. Um, you mentioned Biblical Counselling Australia. Who are they? What, they're, what are they about? And yeah, We're a, um, a nationwide group of Christians um, who are really keen to see um, Christ and his word uh, have much greater influence in not just in counselling, um, as like professional counsellors or as pastors talk with people, but across whole churches, so that as we talk with each other, we're able to bring Christ and his word um, by his spirit into our conversations in a way that's really helpful for people. Um, we just see a lack in that in so many places, and that's what we're on about. Uh, we have about 1,400, 1,500 people on our email list uh, that have been to our events over the last few years, and we hold national events um, where... Um, involved in, in teaching around the country um, and next year uh, we'll be starting up a counselling centre in Melbourne and also getting an accreditation process going for counsellors and um, continuing our national meetings. We had a bit of a hiatus this year due to our previous ED becoming unwell and so I'm taking that up at the end of this year basically. Well, Carl, we look forward to hearing uh, in a little bit from your sermon and um, friends, Carl will be sticking around. Please get to know him. Great. Um, I have two Bible readings for us. Um, if you have a Bible with you, firstly, if you could turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. What then? I'll leave that in every way, whether in present, uh, pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And I, in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with the full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and enjoy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only I let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, 
I may hear of your of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have the second Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to pick it up in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are not seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this tent we are grown longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for, we, for we, while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me pray for us, friends. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Prepare our hearts to receive through your spirit. Pray for your servant, Carl, as he proclaims these truths. Help us to listen and help us to apply through your spirit. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Uh, as Carl comes up, we've got some uh, sermon notes which are going to be handed out. So if you want a sermon note to kind of swiggle on, please just put your hand up and we'll give it to you. Thanks, Carl. Well, thanks, Shabu, for leading us in prayer. We really do need the mind of Christ as we look at this particular issue because uh, 
Despite the name of the series, God's Good Design, euthanasia is not part of God's good design or his grand grand design for us or his grand plans. Um, And we are in a a world which is confused on this. Our state of Victoria has, not that long ago, taken the first steps along the road that only a few other places have taken. From next year, it will be legal to kill another person who asks to be killed. There's restrictions on that. It has to be with intolerable suffering. There has to be less than six months life expectancy. It was going to be 12 months, but they couldn't get enough votes. You have to be over 18 years of age and you have to be a Victorian resident. But from next year, when all the regulations are sorted, perhaps the middle of the year or so is the plan, it will be possible to ask someone to kill you uh, with certain restrictions. That is not God's great plan for us. Um, I come to this topic as someone who has been a treating doctor in palliative care, an elder or minister over many years who brings spiritual care, and I've been a family member who's had to help my grandparents at the ends of their lives to sort through the difficult issues regarding treatment and the dying process. And I still get involved in end-of-life treatment decisions at times in my work as an anaesthetist at the local hospital. Um, in preparing for this talk, training and experience has been helpful, but it's also been a real burden just to think back over um, the years and years of wrestling with end-of-life decisions and, and what happens at that. There have been some really hard times. The, the, the process of dying is not at all pleasant. Um, and one of the things I find the hardest is when people are going through that process and they have little sense or no sense Um, that they will be facing the Lord at the end of that process. Uh, That has been a real burden. Uh, This issue is going to affect all of us more and more as we find ourselves facing decisions that just weren't options uh, in the past. the, the, The options with the new laws will change the whole area of dying in Victoria. It's going to change your lives in your family, for your friends. Some of you work in healthcare-related areas and that's going to change your life. These new laws that we have are are controversial. They are a defining moment for us in Victoria. We've taken a step in our nation which very few others have taken around the world and one that was highly debatable. There was a lot of debate. It wasn't only Christians that were against the new laws. Many people who profess no faith in anything were against them as well. Christian or not, government or opposition didn't matter. These were controversial laws. Part of the reason was that many of the things that they purport to address didn't need to be addressed because there weren't actually problems in those areas. It's always been legal in Victoria to treat pain and to treat it as much as necessary to bring reasonable relief. Uh, We're not looking um, at treatment here... which is solely intended to relieve pain or suffering and end-of-life care. That's already been available. There's nothing new in that. That's not going to change next year. And it's always been legal to do that, even where sometimes it may shorten somebody's life as an unintended side effect uh, of treating the pain. Uh, Some people call that passive euthanasia. It's been widely accepted and practised and accepted by Christians as an appropriate way of dealing with people's pain uh, at end-of-life. 
Christians have normally held that it's okay to prioritise pain relief over the length of life. Um, our new laws didn't, weren't needed to address that issue because it wasn't really an issue under our legal system. It's also always been legal to withhold medical treatment in various circumstances for patient requests, particularly where the doctor believes it's going to be futile. No one needs to be kept alive against their will in Victoria under the current laws. The new ones weren't necessary to address this. Um, we're not looking here at the issue of people who are terminally ill refusing treatment. That's already legal, has been basically for uh, all my practising career. The Victorian Parliament has legalised doing something with the intention of causing death. That is the prime intention of what the new laws are about. So we're going to look this morning at intentional killing or what's called internationally assisted suicide. Our laws are called the assisted dying laws, but the, the right term for internationally in the ethical lit literature is assisted suicide. And that's what it is. And we'll look at uh, some of the broader applications that other places have made as they've brought the, the few places that have these laws, what, what they've done with them. And we'll look at what people have been campaigning for our laws to already extend beyond. This is just the beginning of what some would like to see happen in our state. It seems that once that really human barrier against killing somebody else is broken, then you can stretch things out from there and go further and further once you've broken that. You don't need to be a Christian to have a, a real um, hatred or dislike of taking the life of somebody else. But once you've broken that barrier, then you've now you open yourself up to a whole lot of other possibilities. In Victoria, we're started, we have started where a movie started some, some years back. There's a movie by James Cameron. He's the producer of Titanic and Avatar. Uh, he produced a movie in Victoria called Sanctum. I don't expect many of you know this movie. It wasn't a big hit. Um, but it was produced in Queensland. And in this movie, there's a caving disaster. It's all about a caving disaster. And it deals briefly with assisted suicide. Uh, in this movie, a guy called Luco is severely injured in the cave and he's in a lot of pain, not expected to die, and his friend Frank is convinced he's not going to live for very long. He'll die soon, so Frank holds Luco's head down in the water and he drowns. He drowns him. And in the movie, it's clearly portrayed as an act of mercy. And you're meant to come away thinking that was a good thing that Frank did for his friend Luco. And apart from the, the, the hurry of that process and the lack of legal involvement, that's pretty much what our new laws uh, would allow. It fits our new situation pretty well. When we face situations of severe suffering, it's completely natural to want to do something to relieve that suffering, even if it goes as far as taking someone's life. You, you, you can feel the pull to want to do that, but then you think, no, I can't do that. It's, it's the a step too far. Um, we are at the point where that movie Sanctum was at. That's where our laws have got us to. But the road that approves of assisted dying doesn't always stop there. It doesn't always stop at extreme cases. It seems to want to keep going to people who feel distressed for other reasons and we want to get involved and help those who are suffering. And there are many people around for whom euthanasia, assisted dying for terminally ill people, is already old-fashioned. It's already in their mind not far enough. It was all that our parliament could get through. There was just a slender majority. It's all they could get through. But there are many people around who are pushing for more in Victoria, in Australia and overseas. And looking at what's been in the media in, in recent times, which of course is generally secular and activist, um, they have moved on to other categories 
for euthanasia, categories of unwanted life, categories of completed life, this idea that I've had enough, it's time for me to go, please take me. Ask someone else to take you. So our, our wider culture in the media is moving on to just taking life on one's own terms to avoid various potential indignities. Let's consider what's been in the media uh, recently. There's a movie, 2016, Me Before You. Some of you will have seen this movie. Um, and this movie addresses where other countries in some places are actually at. Uh, a rich young man ends up paralysed in a wheelchair and he wants to die. He decides that his life is now too restricted to be worth living. He's got huge wealth that he could live for and do something good with and find meaning and purpose. He's got the love of his family. He has the love of a young woman. But these things are not enough for him. And so he wants to have his life taken from him. It was a really controversial movie, particularly amongst disability advocates, because they would look at this and say, well, if this man could find no reason to live in a wheelchair, as he was, then who could find reason to live if they had a disability? It sent a really bad message uh, to those who struggle uh, with disabilities. Contrast that situation with the well-known story of Joni Erickson Tata, who has led and continues to lead a life of faithful service to God from her wheelchair with intense suffering. The, para- the, 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 the suffering that she had with the injury that led her in the wheelchair, that's only the beginning of what she's gone through. I've, I've heard her speak and she has gone through so many situations, including chronic pain, which has been severe and beyond something I would want to have to bear in my own life. Um, a few months back, there was a, a situation, many of you will know, um, the ABC headline went like this, David Goodall ends his life at 104 with a final powerful statement on euthanasia. David Goodall was an Australian professor, he was an Order of Australia recipient, and he travelled to Switzerland to be killed at his request. Um, He wasn't terminally ill in the sense of there was no set life expectancy, he wasn't suffering from some terrible condition that was unbearable. His situation was that he was old, and he could no longer do the things that he wanted to do with his life. His daughter said, he's always felt that there's no point in being in this world or surviving if you can't make a difference, if you can't contribute to society. And it was really sad to watch this unfold, and some of you did watch it unfold, no doubt, and, and see this man who could still communicate clearly, who could still sing, and he sang Beethoven's Ode to Joy, that this man who still had a family around him who loved him and was still interacting with people and had things to say, that he felt he had nothing to contribute, nothing left to contribute, and that his life was no longer worth living. And so he travelled internationally to have his life taken. Around the same time, Nicky Gemmell was writing in the Australian Weekend magazine in support of much broader assisted suicide laws than the ones that, have, that are coming in to Victoria. And that's just some examples of what's out there in the media trying to extend our laws further into categories beyond intolerable suffering where, where someone's life is expected to not go more than a few more months. But let's, let's come back to where our law is at in Victoria, address what, what, what we face. I think that if you look at suffering alone, if you look at somebody who's terminally ill goes through, without considering anything else at all, it, it really could feel compelling 
it could feel compelling if all other avenues of relief for suffering were, were, not, were unsuccessful. Think about what it's like if you've got, you've got a pet that's unwell and, and, and really sick and there's nothing much you can do. We, reluctantly, we do something with our animals. Even if it's really hard for the farmer to pull the trigger or for you to hand over your animal to, to the vet, we, we do that because we don't want to see even an animal suffering in that way. And people often picture untreatable pain or suffering as the reason for our new laws. But in a country like Australia with our resources, this should be really unusual. I just want to go, go back a step there on the slides, I think. Um, no, we're right, we can go forward again. Thanks. Um, with the, with the resources we have in Australia, it's usually possible to get somebody comfortable enough. And in my experience with the medications available to me, it's been possible to, it's even if sometimes somebody ends up very drowsy. It's interesting when you look at what's happening in other places around the world. The, in uh, US, there's a few US states that allow assisted suicide. When you look at the reasons why people, why people ask for it, it's not usually for intolerable pain. They, have, they give other reasons. So in one big US study, the most common reasons people gave for asking for someone to take their life from them was loss of autonomy, that they would lose control over their lives, that they would lose the ability to influence other people with their lives. 90% of people gave the loss of enjoyable activities as the reason for asking for someone to take their life. 70% gave loss of dignity as the reason, becoming frail, perhaps a bit confused, and 50% gave the reason of becoming dependent on others as the reason why they asked others. Needing or receiving people's help for bodily functions or for just activities of daily living. The vast majority were not asking for it because of intolerable pain or intolerable suffering. It was things to do with their life wasn't the way they would like it to be. And I think as we look at these things, these reasons of autonomy loss of enjoyable activities, loss of dignity loss and, and dependency, we can look at it and say from a Christian point of view, where we find our identity in Christ and we find our belonging with his people, in our relationships with, with God and relationships in our family, um, that these should, not, these should make issues of autonomy and, and loss of enjoyment and dignity and those things not quite so important to us because we don't find our identity in ourselves as we are and our ability to influence others around us. We find it in belonging to God and to others. But in the US study, there was a request for assisted suicide because of actual pain or concern about pain. 25% of people said that they wanted it for that reason. But interestingly, it was based upon what they thought would happen to them. It wasn't necessarily their current experience. They foresaw a time when they might be in in severe pain. Therefore, they wanted their life taken before they got to that point. Based on what they would expect, and those expectations are probably overly negative, I would say. Why should we be concerned about the new laws that are coming into us in Victoria? Even if our laws don't go any further, even if they never get stretched beyond what they've been set at, six months life expectancy, intolerable suffering, why should we be concerned? Well, there are plenty of reasons 
uh, why we should be concerned. And these, these were things that were in the debate that happened in Victoria. And they, were, they weighed heavily in the debate. In fact, these reasons that we're going to go through almost defeated the laws. It, these new laws will lead some vulnerable people to think, I don't want to be a burden on other people. I don't want to put pressure on other people. I don't want to make them have to do any work for me. So it would be easier if my life was taken. Think of the pressure you might feel when you know that your kids or grandkids have put their life on hold for a while to help you, to look after you. The pressure you might feel when they look so exhausted from caring, from visiting, from helping pressure you feel when you know how hard it can be on your caregivers, pressure you feel when you know that you're using up money and resources that you could pass on to others but that it's getting consumed in your care. 25% of the US assisted suicide requests give these things as their reasons, concern for being a burden to other people. It could get worse than that. It could lead those of us who are really busy and preoccupied to think, you know, I don't want you to be a burden. I really don't want you to be a burden on me. Um, I, I was talking to a funeral director last year about cremations where nobody turns up. People are going in, their body is being committed to the ground by basically through cremation and no one turns up at these cremations or burials. People are just too busy, too disinterested, too estranged to care. How easy would it then be to say, I don't want you to be a burden because that's just the lack of interest. I don't want to put the time or effort in. I don't want to deal with past hurts and, and forgiveness issues. I don't want the money to be spent there when I could perhaps get it for myself. And that's a realistic concern. You've all heard about the increasing elder abuse in our communities. Uh, sometimes that's driven by financial interests. Another issue that came up in the debate was that it might lessen the drive for our state to develop and maintain really good palliative care services. If there's the option of being killed rather than having to care, then there's a financial interest in killing and not caring. Um, and palliative care services are resource intensive. They take people's energy and effort and it takes money to run them. And if those services deteriorate because they're not make, made available um, because of the options of death instead, well, it might be that then more and more people actually ask for a death uh, rather than to be cared for because the, the resources, the services are not what they should be. And there'll be people who will be pressured to be involved in the whole process. You know, it could be your patient, it could be your client. It could be Mrs Roberts on the Gravillia wing of the nursing home in room 85 who's going to be killed today and you're somehow connected with that. It can, it can affect you. And uh, it will affect nurses and doctors. Intolerable suffering can call for urgent intervention sometimes. And uh, it may be that you don't want to be involved. And it puts pressure on, on the place that you work at, rostering issues, because you don't want to be involved in this. And you might find in time that actually that's not tolerated. You're not, you're not involved. It gets, gets too difficult. And, this might seem an extreme development of our laws, but don't think it can't happen. We have laws on abortion in Victoria that would compel doctors to be involved. If you have a conscientious objection to it, you have to refer somebody for one who asks for it. Um, that's an extreme law in the, in, the, in, in, in the international context. 
In fact, our laws are even more extreme in that regard. They would actually compel a doctor to, give, to, to, to do a termination if it's deemed to be an emergency, if it's deemed to be an urgent situation. They would compel the doctor to do it. Our laws would. That's, uh, I don't think it's been tested yet, but it is in, it's, in, it's in the laws. Many people saw value in having time to love people in their last days or months, having time to say goodbye, to, to share together, to, to go through that process of a very precious time when someone passes from this life. That can be lost with the pressure to assisted suicide. And while our laws might bring relief to some people, knowing that they can end their life, it will bring pain to other people. Increasing the options here actually causes confusion. Having more options than you want to deal with can be hard. And some people who suffer a lot struggle so much with, do I want to live? Would I rather die? And in contemplating that choice can be mental torture to have that option there rather than not having that option. One of the big ones that I find a concern is that our laws may well mean that some people lose their opportunities to find peace with God by hastening the process, by taking life at a time when they can still perhaps talk and, and communicate with people, they lose the option of hearing about the gospel. In one of my palliative care cases when I was in general practice, a patient of mine was dying at home and as I normally do in that situation, I asked them if they wanted, wanted to discuss spiritual issues at all. Some people would say yes and some would say no. Well, she said yes and so we spoke about um, spiritual matters, about her need to be forgiven before God, before we die, um, that she was going to meet God face to face. And I reminded her about Jesus. She knew something about Jesus from being raised in a church when she was very young. Just went to John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And, and she turned to Jesus. She welcomed that news and, and came to know him and found peace with God. My guess is that that may not have happened if she'd been able to terminate her life earlier. Um, at this stage, she was you know, on infusions for painkillers and that sort of thing that were, that were keeping her comfortable but drowsy. But she was still able to, to get ready to meet her maker. Another situation, a woman asked me as a family friend to speak with her dying father, um, an elderly man who had spent his whole life fighting against God wanted nothing to do with the church throughout his whole life. His daughter had become a believer, but he had not. And uh, they were sufficiently estranged that there wasn't, wasn't a way they could talk together. And so she asked me to go and speak with him. So I did. And we spoke together about sin, about judgment, about Jesus and forgiveness. And he believed in Jesus. And he died a week or so later. But he died with eternal life. In the new laws that man may actually have taken the option of dying early and missed that. Scripture makes it really clear that God is the one who gives life. God gives life. God says when it may be taken. And suicide in Scripture is not one of those times when life may be taken. Let's look at some of the reasons why I say Scripture says that. Suicide's against God as creator. It's against God who made us in his image. And from the very beginning, there's a prohibition against killing. Cain had taken Abel's life. 
And God says to those who are thinking about taking Cain's life, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. From the very start, it's not right to take the life of somebody else. We are not just animals. We're not just dogs who can be put down when we are suffering too much. The labels on those bottles there are right in what they say. It's for animal use only, is what they say. There are things that could kill an animal or a human, for that matter. They're for animal use only, not for us. We are not just animals. We are made in God's image. And this is reiterated in the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And this has always been understood by the church, by Christians everywhere, that that includes killing oneself. You don't murder yourself. Did you know that for many, many centuries there were no people who were suicided buried in church graveyards? That's how much the church was against that. I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong, but that's the way it was. The church has always understood that it's wrong to take one's own life. The final act of self-murder was a barrier to being buried in a church graveyard, which is where all the cemeteries used to be, for those who don't know that. The church has always been clear on this. Assisted suicide is against God, not only God as creator, it's also against God as recreator, the one who's remaking us. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We belong to God by creation because he made us in his image. We belong to God by recreation because he's remaking us in the image of Christ at the cost of his son's life. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Leaves no room for taking our own lives. And in scripture, the only portrayals of suicide, and there are some, they are negative or highly tainted. There are no positive examples of suicide in the Bible. Let's go through all the ones that I could find. There's Abimelech. Abimelech was an evil king. And so a woman crushed his skull with a stone for dropping it on his head. And Abimelech gets his servant to kill him before he dies of his head injury in Judges 9. There is no positive aspect in that whatsoever. There's Saul, another one who wasn't particularly godly king. And he requested assisted suicide when he was mortally wounded. You see it in 1 Samuel 31, 2 Samuel 1. But his armour bearer refused to do it. So Saul kills himself by falling on his sword. And an Amalekite comes along and claims that he's killed Saul, thinking that he's going to impress David, it seems. Uh, but David is not happy with that, and so this Amalekite is executed for his crime against the Lord's anointed king. And the Amalekite didn't actually do it, but he said he did, and he was killed for that. Uh, rightly so, uh, because he'd murdered somebody else. At least he claimed to. No positive suicide in the Bible. In Second Samuel 17, there's Ahithophel, who was committed treason against King David, and so he kills himself. In 1 Kings 16, there's Zimri. And Zimri is feeling guilty because of his sins, because he's caused other people to sin. 
but in his ungodly sorrow, takes his own life. The most well-known example, of course, is Judas, who, having betrayed the Son of God, takes his own life. It's in Matthew 27 and and, and Acts 1. Another case of ungodly sorrow leading to a suicide. These are all really bad examples. None of these people are examples of godliness in the scriptures. And what they did was wrong. No godly person in scripture kills himself. Now, if you're astute, you might say, what about Samson? Um, Of course, Samson wasn't a particularly godly man, but he is recorded as a man of faith in Hebrews. And what about Samson when he brought the house down on the Philistines? Well, it's not actually a suicide when you look at what he did. Um, He was in a war with the Philistines. Israel and Philistia were at war with each other. He was a captive. He's a prisoner of war. And he asked God for supernatural strength to make one last attack on the enemies of Israel. And God gave him that strength and he pushed the pillars down so so the building fell down, killing himself in the process. But that's what happens in war, isn't it? Soldiers put their lives on the line all the time. It wasn't a suicide. It was justice and war. And God gave him the strength to do what otherwise he could not have done. No positive examples of suicide to relieve one's own suffering anywhere in the scriptures. Suicide is never given as an escape for suffering in the New Testament church. It's never there. You never see it. In the early church, it was not there. Yet we know that Christians suffered massively for following Christ in all sorts of ways. Some of those ways would have, would have involved a lot of pain. People were tortured to death. And yet there's no examples that I know of that I've come across where Christians took their own lives to avoid that. There may be some, but they're not easy to find if they are there. So it's not surprising that the way God speaks to us is to tell us to trust him in these things, matters of life and death, to trust him. He's far more wise and powerful and caring than we can understand. Uh, We have this idea in the Western world, of which we're part, that... um, that suffering is always pointless, it's always meaningless. But God tells us differently. He tells us that he's always working in our lives. In fact, he uses suffering to refine us. He's always up to something. He's always growing us. He's always doing good for us. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, he still does good to us. We don't always see what he's doing. We don't always understand. And that's where we need to remind ourselves that we are his creatures and he's the creator. He's the one who knows everything, who is sovereign over everything, and we, by comparison, know so little and have such little control. Job is the great example of this. Job went through all the suffering that Satan could devise for him. Everything short of taking his life was what God said Satan could do. It was so bad that Job wished he was never born. What does that mean? It means he wished he was dead. He would like to be dead. And if he could have done it, maybe he would have done it. But he didn't take his own life or ask anybody else to. At the end of the whole account, in the last few chapters, in his extended record of what God says to Job in response to all that's happened. Job had lots of questions. Why, Lord? 
Why, why, why? Why do I get all this stuff? And Job's answer is simply that, basically, that he's God. Were, were you there, God says? Were you there when I made the world? Do you know how I've done it? Do you know my wisdom? Do you know my power? Who looks after the lions? Can you play with the most fearsome beasts? I made them. Do you know how the hawk flies? Does, does, does the hawk fly by your wisdom? Have you made the seas and you know where the seas go and you control them? What's God saying? He's saying he knows all things. He made all things. He controls all things. Our questions are not useless. Our questions, it's not that we shouldn't ask them. It's just that we may not be able to comprehend the answers to those questions. God is saying he knows and we should trust him. And we mustn't miss the conclusion, of course, the book of Job. In the conclusion, God blesses Job, restores to him even more than he had before his trials. Job was greatly blessed by God at the end of that, which gives us confidence that in whatever we go through, that God will eventually bless us. And of course, if we are facing um, the, a terminal situation and it's the end of our lives, we know if we have faith in Christ that we are on the verge of eternal blessing with nothing to fear. And we see the evidence of God's plan in that in the pattern with Job. What Job went through and then Job was lifted out of it at the end. Taking death into our own hands is wrong. Whether we do it for ourselves or whether we do it for somebody else, whether somebody wants it or not doesn't really change whether it's wrong. Our lives were made by God, they belong to him, they're for him, we may not know what God's up to in whatever we face or whatever our family or friends or patients, clients face. But we do know that we have reason to trust God. Trust him because he is God. And recognise that he is wise and we are not that wise. And it's certainly not a sensible thing to go against what he's declared to us. As Christians, we have a different view of life to those around us in some ways, we value life more. In other ways, we value it less. Um, we're, we're not driven by trying to value life as something in itself. We value it in connection with God. We don't see life as something that we have sold rights over. And so the Amalekite was rightly executed for killing the Lord's anointed. Executed for killing somebody else. Think of the logic of that, but it makes sense when you realise that life is held by God. And he's the one who has rights over it. We call life sacred because it belongs to God and it's for him to give or take according to his good pleasure. We don't call it sacred because it's got some intrinsic value in itself that makes it important above everything else, but because it's sacred to God. It's holy to him. Our lives have dignity, not in themselves, but in connection with God. Because we're made in God's image, because we're here by his will, because we are here by his loving, sovereign care. We don't measure our dignity by how much autonomy we have, by how much control we have over the world around us or other people, by how much power we can exert, by how impressive we look, by how refined we are or how clever we might seem. That's not how we measure our worth. Not by how much we can do, not by whether we need people to help us or not. Not by whether we're net givers or takers when it comes to being 
giving help or receiving help, that's not how we value it. We value it because we have the life God gave to us. is the one who's given us our lives. That's where our value comes from. So we're not driven by preconceived ideas about maintaining autonomy or exerting it. There's no particular virtue in dying proud or independent. In fact, attempts to be independent of God is what's got our world into trouble. And it's deeply ironic when you look at um, some of the examples around us where people have chosen to take their life on their terms. It's ironic, isn't it? that people would feel powerful in getting in first before they die anyway. Um, It's not particularly impressive. It's like the company boss resigning, knowing that if he doesn't resign, he's about to be sacked. Uh, I don't see much power or autonomy or control in that, really. And people don't really bring death under control anyway by bringing it upon themselves because that's just the beginning of death. Death goes on. Death brings us to face God. And if you really want to overcome death, the only way to do that is through Christ, who gives resurrection power. Just getting in first and taking one's own life is very unimpressive and futile in dealing with the big issues. Autonomy, which is the biggest reason that people give in the US for asking for assisted suicide, autonomy is just an illusion. Even the most powerful people can only do what they do by the power that God gives them. Their autonomy is an illusion. There is no self-made person. Everybody can only work with what they've been given and what God's given strength for. And as Christians, we're not really driven by notions of independence or autonomy anyway. It's not what life is about. Uh, we, are, we, we, we come into the world fully dependent, and some of us are going to leave that way as well. And even at our strongest, even in our prime, we are still always dependent on God for every single breath that we have. It is the power of his word that sustains everything. It gives us breath. None of us are truly independent or stronger in ourselves. And our dignity isn't defined by a degree of independence. We're made to be interdependent, uh, even even in a perfect world where everything as it should be, we would be dependent on each other. That's the way God's made it to be. That's the way he wants it. And in God's plan, there'll be some who need more help than others, who need more support and, and, and assistance in their last days. We see life as just preliminary. Life is just the beginning of eternity. It's not the end. And so on one level, we could see it as expendable. You don't hang on to it at all all costs. Um, So while we don't take death into our own hands and kill ourselves, uh, we're also free to not pursue at all costs life because we're not afraid of what follows. We're able to say, it's enough. And I'm ready for God to take me leaving it in his hands, recognising our lives are a gift from God that could be over tomorrow or next week, next year. It could be 40 years. It could be be 80 years or 90 years for some of you here. But it's a gift from God. You don't need to extend it at all costs because it goes into eternity. And if you know Christ, then you're safe with that.
So how can we face how can we face death if taking our own life isn't one of the options? Suffering, well, how do we face it? Well, God promises to give to give comfort to us when we suffer, and He promises to give it through other people. That's that interdependency again, isn't it? That God uses people to help us, and we. We want to make use of that comfort that God gives. And we should trust him with it. We want a dying process to be peaceful. Who, who wants to struggle in, the, in their last days? It's right to pray for relief, to work towards relief. It's a Christ-like thing to say, Lord, take this cup from me if it's possible. No one's saying we should look forward to suffering or desire it. It's okay to, to want it to be gone, but to leave it in God's hands as to whether he takes it or not. God provides physical means for relief, and we should use them, of course. Medical care is a gift from God. Even scripture in the Old Testament says that wine gladdens the heart and notes that strong drink is for the dying. And the Good Samaritan is an example to us that Jesus gave of caring for somebody else physically, providing the resources, the money, to look after someone who is suffering. And we have far better options than the Good Samaritan had available to him in Jesus' story. Uh, And we should make those available to each other. Scripture directs us to a a hope of a better life than this one. And this is where we're going to stop this morning. There is a question for us to consider throughout all of life. We hold life as valuable, but not an ultimate value. Is it better to be with Christ or to, or to stay here? That's a valid question. Paul describes the issue in Philippians 1. He says, yes, I will rejoice. Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For, me, for, to me, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the body, that means fruitful labour for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the body is more necessary on your account. Paul seems to be having a choice there as to whether he stays or goes. And it's right for us as believers to consider that, and to not have to hold on to life at all cost. The believer's recurring thought throughout life is that this life is good or this life is miserable, as the case may be. But whatever the case is, eternal life with Christ is always so much better. That's always our ultimate hope. And so for someone who finds themselves in suffering, even intolerable suffering, it's quite appropriate to pray for God to take you. To say, Lord, I... I would want to be with Christ. This life is too hard. And over many years, I've seen older believers pray that. Brothers and sisters who love the Lord, who know him well, who are often usually late in life and in pain to ask for God to take them, and he does. Often answering within weeks, and sometimes within weeks, even when I couldn't see what the condition was that they were going to die of, but the Lord answers their prayer. Along the lines of what Paul was discussing in Philippians 1, do I, go with, do I go to be with Christ or do I stay with that choice that God had given him? 
But notice that, the, that these brothers and sisters who have prayed prayers like this have done so leaving it in God's hands, trusting him with his loving, sovereign care over their lives. They haven't taken things into their own hands. I'd encourage you as the new laws come in to not use these new laws to take things into your own hands. You can trust God um, with these things. But pray as you desire, as Jesus prayed as he desired, as Paul contemplated to stay or go. Pray for the Lord to, to bring you your desires and then trust him with the outcome. Every day we live, whether we live with all our strength and in good health, or whether we are barely hanging on and suffering and weak, we are always here at God's will for his purposes. We are always his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. That's the case in all circumstances of life. Now, it may be in great weakness and pain that our good works are not what they once were. They're different. It may be the good works are patient hope under difficulty. It may be prayer when we can do not much else, but prayer is doing a lot. It could be our good works are trust and obedience rather than taking the quick way out that our new laws might offer to us. Submitting ourselves to God's will setting an example of Christ-likeness to others to endure in all circumstances. The good works may be humble faith that helps other people by words that are spoken humbly and by the example of confidence in God's sovereignty and his promises that encourages somebody else to trust God as well. There's plenty of scope for those good works to continue for as long as God gives breath. And that's where we're going to finish this morning. There are lots of practical reasons to care and not to kill, to preserve life rather than give up, to persevere. And that's why so many people oppose their new laws who aren't Christians. But for us as who are believers, we don't need to make this too complicated in the end. Um, Our final decisions on euthanasia should be clear enough for us. We're not just animals, we are people made by God in his image. We are his workmanship and Christ died for us so we belong to him. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life you've given to us, that you have made us. We thank you that you have purchased us by the blood of your son. So help us to live faithfully before you trusting you, knowing you more and more, recognising that we're not our own. We are bought with the price of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. Lord, help us to show compassion in all circumstances and help those who are suffering to find relief and comfort through the help of brothers and sisters, the help of the wider community and ultimately through knowing you and the salvation that you give to us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.